Hi, everybody. Um, this is Adrian Bloom, Editor-in-Chief of H2 Tech, and I would like to welcome you to our first edition of H2 Tech Talk. This is a podcast for H2 Tech, and today we have a great uh, guest with us. We have Deepak Bawa. He's the Director of Project Development for New Fortress Energy, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, blue hydrogen in the energy transition before we get started, I'm going to invite Deepak to tell us a little bit about himself. Deepak? Hello, and thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer by education, and uh, I have uh, 20 years of experience working with different kind of EPC companies in project development and project management. And I have executed like LNG projects, hydrogen projects, ammonia, methanol, and a lot of other capital projects. And right now I'm working with uh, New Fortress Energy as Director of Project Development, yeah. Great, thank you for that background. Cool, so um, with that in mind and uh, your extensive background in these things, um, kind of to launch into the, uh, the discussion around where we see um, hydrogen specifically uh, looking at the the development of blue hydrogen and the how that can be utilized in um, in where we're going with technology uh, these days in uh, in the growing hydrogen uh, economy. Where do you see blue hydrogen's role in the current oil and gas energy infrastructure? As you know that uh, we are in the middle of this energy transition period and uh, hydrogen uh, is going to play a crucial role in this, or if I can say that hydrogen is the rock star of this energy transition phase. And uh, hydrogen generally is used uh, in refining and chemical industries. And uh, now people are talking about hydrogen to use as a transportation fuel or aviation fuel, which is basically changing the game. So uh, as you know that uh, there are three types of uh, hydrogen we are talking about these days, uh, gray hydrogen, blue hydrogen, and green hydrogen. Uh, green, blue hydrogen is more balanced than gray and green because it gives you the hydrogen at an affordable price, but and it doesn't emit the carbon like the gray one. So if I compare it in another way, that uh, blue hydrogen is basically the, uh, or say green hydrogen is basically the BMW and bodies of the hydrogen market. Mm -hmm. And uh, blue hydrogen is more like Toyota and Hondas. So mm -hmm. not all the people can afford the BMWs and Audis as they are still expensive, but most people can afford the Hondas and Toyotas. So that's why we need blue hydrogen in this energy transition. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so in, with respect to that, do you see hydrogen, do you see blue hydrogen as being, well, actually, do you see hydrogen in general as being complementary or competitive to the natural gas sector? Both, actually. Uh, see, the blue hydrogen is basically made from uh, natural gas. When we do the methane paralysis, we get the blue hydrogen. And uh, then we capture the carbon out of this process. So that's how blue hydrogen is made. So blue hydrogen can substitute the natural gas wherever it is economical to substitute. Uh, like 
as a fuel in the industries and uh, but it can be more used as a transportation or aviation fuel or in the refining industries and chemical industries while on the other hand the natural gas has its position in the power industry because uh, it is more economical to use still natural gas as a source there and then natural gas is used more in households so basically they complement each other very well and uh, blue hydrogen is coming out of natural gas so to decarbonize we can use blue hydrogen more than uh, natural gas but both are going to retain their places in i would say next 10 to 20 years yes mm -hmm. and um do you see uh uses for this in um uh, what what uses do you see for this in uh, for example turbines and and the lng sector how do you see that being applied to help reduce carbon footprint so there are a lot of talk going on for decarbonization of uh, uh, lng sector uh, especially the gas turbines which are being used in L uh, to produce the lng so people are saying that can we introduce uh, 5% to say 90% of hydrogen in those gas turbines and uh, can we decarbonize them and uh, we are in at nfe we are doing a one project at longridge ohio which is a 485 megawatt power plant which is under construction right now and we are working with the ge and black and beach on that uh, to introduce uh, hydrogen into that uh, ge gas turbine this will be first of a kind uh, project in us but this is what we are trying to do to decarbonize the carbon which are we are getting from the natural gas and uh, another there's another market to decarbonize the pipeline uh, the natural gas pipelines also that we can inject the hydrogen uh, in certain percentage and we can decarbonize the natural gas pipeline also even if we target for from 5% to say up to maximum 20% to decarbonize the uh, natural gas we can reduce the carbon footprint uh, of natural gas uh, with a huge number already there is a good business in uk and i think the us is still little lagging in these efforts to decarbonize the natural gas uh but i think uh, we'll sure will follow this uh, process very very soon in us also we'll see this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um so kind of along those lines what what are other current challenges or opportunities that you see for for blue hydrogen uh production and application? So uh, as I said blue hydrogen is mainly uh, made from the uh, methane pyrolysis method where we use natural gas as a feedstock and uh, we get the carbon out of uh, syn gas and we capture that carbon and we can sequester that carbon uh, where we pump that carbon into the ground or we can capture that carbon and uh, sell it for eor right now as the uh, oil price is around 45 dollar per barrel so eor doesn't make that much sense uh, people are not buying that much co2 for enhanced oil recovery at this moment but co2 sequestration is one benefit where uh, you can sequester pump the co2 into the ground and you can claim the 45 q credit which is giving you 50 dollar a ton uh, of co2 so but the challenge in this one is uh, the co2 capture and sequestration process is very expensive so if you see all the big leaders in hydrogen production industry uh, 
we have only and only one plant in whole us who are who is capturing the co2 from the hydrogen production process which is in laporte texas uh, air products have that plant and uh, the thing is when we capture uh, the co2 and when we sequester that it goes around close to i would say 65 dollar to 70 dollar per ton of co2 and uh, if you sequester that you are getting basically 40 50 dollar per ton of co2 as per 45 q credit so still you are at a loss when you are capturing carbon so i would say that is the one of the biggest challenge in this industry for blue hydrogen at the moment because we are losing money when we are trying to capture the carbon if the carbon credit is little higher so from 50 dollar per ton to say 70 or 80 dollar per ton where it can break even or where people can make some money yes then it will be much more beneficial and the, especially the biggest producers of hydrogen would be motivated to go for this kind of uh, carbon capture system Mm-hmm. And the second challenge in this one is uh, if you have to sequester the CO2, which is only the viable option at this moment, given the oil price, you have to basically go for a class six permit with EPA. And that class six permit takes around 18 months to 24 months to get the permit. So even if you plan plan to capture the CO2 and sequester it, you have to wait for 18 to 24 months to get the approval. You can do it while it you are doing engineering. The plant is in construction for a greenfield project. But if the existing plant is already there, all these steam methane reformer plants, the SMR plants are already there, you don't want to wait for like two years to get the permit to sequester the CO2 and then you are investing money also. And then you basically you're gonna, you know that you're going to lose money when you're going to capture the carbon. Mm-hmm. So carbon credit value, and the permit thing these two are the challenges the mm-hmm. opportunities are huge at this moment because uh, the whole world is trying to go for uh, decarbonize the transportation sector mainly which is basically the evolving market of hydrogen uh, say five years before we were just talking about electric cars and these days people are more enthusiastic about hydrogen cars and hydrogen trucks even uh, Aviation sector, we are talking about hydrogen as a fuel. So that is basically booming the market. In California, California already stated that in 2035, they will stop all the uh, cars running on gasoline or diesel. So that's a huge opportunity. So that will be the market where hydrogen cars can be more successful. And uh, California already has some hydrogen fuel stations and they have the electrical vehicle stations. And I think hydrogen and electric cars are the future. And right now, the opportunity for blue hydrogen is right now the price at hydrogen fuel station per kilo of hydrogen is around $14, $15. If that price can come down to $5 per kilo of hydrogen, then people would know that, okay, I have to pay around 15 to $20 per week for my transportation, for my car, for hydrogen. So people will be motivated to buy those hydrogen cars. So blue hydrogen can decrease the cost and can be more useful in these kind of scenarios. And suppose the model which California is following on the hydrogen fuel stations. So if the other states start following that, then obviously the hydrogen market will be exponentially bigger and uh, 
blue hydrogen can be supplied at these places without hurting the climate or the environment. And that's what makes blue hydrogen is a viable economic and environmental solution for this uh, carbon, say, decarbonizing the atmosphere. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with regard to the um, incentives for CO2 capture, and then also with regard to uh, incentives for setting up a hydrogen, infra- hydrogen vehicle fueling infrastructure, do you see... Um, costs or regulatory incentives as being the more challenging or motivational factor? Like, you know, how do those feed into each other? Which one needs to move first? How do you see that the interplay working there for both both of those different things? So I would say first, uh, given given the fact that we have some technological challenges also for CO2 capture, there are not that many successful CO2 capture plants all around the world, although there are, but mainly one or two technologies are successful. There are not many other technologies. People are working on those technologies, but still those are not very successful. So for for people to be motivated to work for the solutions for CO2 capture, first the incentive has to be there. The incentive from $50 a ton, that has to go up. Mm-hmm. Once that is up, people will strive to get a solution uh, in a much better way and that will basically give them the pathway that okay they can have this plan they can invest that many million of dollars to capture the co2 but in the opex in the long run they will be basically saving their money or they will be getting their money back in 10 or 20 years of time right now if i if we try to for example have 50 tons of a hydrogen plant, which is producing 50 metric tons every day, you have to spend like 10 to $12 million to put a carbon capture equipment there. Mm-hmm. So, and those 10 to $12 million, you don't know whether you're going to get it back or not, because you are losing money in the OPEX in the long run. Mm-hmm. So just those 10 to 12 millions, you are I would say not dropping down the drain, but you are investing in the CO2 capture, you are not going to get it back. If the if the CO2 credit is high, then obviously you can get it back in 10 to 12, uh, 10 to 20 years or something like that. So mm-hmm. first the credit has to go up and then we have to work on more on the technological side also. Right now, the amine system technology is the one of the best one to capture the carbon. Mm-hmm. Other ones are still facing challenges and we are still not capturing kind of a 100% of the carbon these technologies are successful in uh, capturing the pre-combustion carbon. So basically Mm -hmm. what we are saying is when we are getting the syngas out of the first process from the reformer, we can separate the CO2 there. But if if the CO2 is coming from a combustion process, then it is hard to capture that. Mm -hmm. So technological challenges can be met, but first this motivation has to go up. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is the permit thing that hurts a lot of people that puts a break and that puts breaks on a lot of projects that not many people want to wait for two years to get this kind of permit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's understandable. So with, with looking, with looking forward during the, this energy transition that we are in right now to very low carbon and carbon free energy sources. um, How do you see blue hydrogen and green hydrogen playing out 
obviously green hydrogen, more expensive. That is, um, you know, we're kind of looking at that further down the road as a, as a large scale success. And in the short term, you know, it seems like blue hydrogen might be a more um, uh, feasible to implement now in the existing infrastructure. But I'm curious as to your thoughts on how you see the interplay between them, if any, you know, where you see projects of each type succeeding the most, you know, et cetera. So like you said, uh, green hydrogen, there are a lot of projects of green hydrogen being announced or uh, we are under engineering phase uh, around the world, mm -hmm. right? So the one of the biggest one is Project Neom, $5 billion project where they are making huge uh, promises and Elder Top, so air products time kind of companies are involved. So as I said, green hydrogen is the goal, but again, these are the BMWs and the Audis of the hydrogen market. Blue hydrogen is going to keep its position because they are more affordable like Toyota's and Honda's. And uh, long run, we might see that green hydrogen prices might come down because of the technological advances. And more we work on the renewables, yes, the price is going to come down. That is for sure. But in those next 20 years or so, I would say blue hydrogen will keep its place because mm -hmm. it's one of the easiest method to produce hydrogen and you can capture carbon and the rate is so affordable that people can buy hydrogen cars and they can run on blue hydrogen than green hydrogen. Mm -hmm. So, but green hydrogen on a bigger scale, I would say like for aviation sector, if we talk about, if if the governments are giving subsidies for green hydrogen at this point, and there are so many projects happening for that actually. So for that kind of sector, green hydrogen makes more sense where, where governments are giving them subsidies to produce green hydrogen for aviation fuel. Mm -hmm. So both have their own places and how it turns out, how soon we can make affordable green hydrogen, it depends on that. So, for example, another example is for refining industries or for uh, chemical industries where we are making ammonia, methanol, and urea from hydrogen. Then blue hydrogen makes more sense because not everything is carbon free in that process. Even though you are trying to use green hydrogen, but not everything is carbon free in that process. So it's better to use blue hydrogen. You can integrate it better than green hydrogen because mm -hmm. Some of the equipment you can integrate very easily with ammonia process or mm -hmm. methanol process. So both have their own places. The only thing is we need to work more on the green hydrogen side to bring it the cost down. And I have seen few companies uh, who have uh, very groundbreaking technologies in green hydrogen. And uh, the how it looks on paper is the cost looks much cheaper than what we actually see these days. Mm -hmm. But again, Technological development is a phase, like five to 10 years. So by mm -hmm. that time, we'll be seeing that, yeah, cost of the green hydrogen will come down. Mm -hmm. What I see is like gray hydrogen will be phasing out the market. Once we have more CO2 credit or say any subsidy or any other plan for CO2 credit, we'll see that, okay, gray hydrogen will be leaving out the market. Mm -hmm. Or people will be putting like carbon capturing system with the gray hydrogen producing plants, which are SMR plants. So, mm -hmm. Yes, but blue and green, they'll keep their markets. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see. Cool. That's, uh, it's, it's good to have some, some perspective on what we can expect in the future as well as what we can expect to be doing right now. So um, 
as kind of a final question before we wrap up the podcast, um, would you like to, or can you share any details on what your company, New Fortress Energy, is doing uh, in this area and how you anticipate um, the things you're working on can help advance, uh, you know, clean technology and, and energy use? Sure. Uh, New Fortress Energy has a division called Zero Division, who is uh, uh, committed to produce blue hydrogen with zero emission. And uh, it, it matches with our CEO's target to become a zero emission company in the next 10 years. Uh, the bigger companies are talking about being zero emission company by 2050 or something in like next 30 years. But our target is very bold and we, are, we stand with our target to be uh, zero emission in the next 10 years. Wow. And uh, we, we have invested in different technologies uh, to produce the blue as well as green hydrogen at a much cheaper rate. And uh, if everything goes by the process or by our plans, then we are planning to have the pilot plants in the next few years for these technologies. And uh, after the successful pilot plant, we will go commercial on those technologies. And as I said, that we are already have that uh, project at Longridge, where we are uh, introducing the hydrogen into the gas turbines uh, in a 485 megawatt uh, power plant. And this is one of a kind. So uh, what as a unit at NFE, we try to take these steps, which people are kind of afraid to take or which are, we are kind of the pioneers in this market, whether it is blue hydrogen or green hydrogen. Mm -hmm. We have been talking to different companies, different technology startup companies, like maybe we have talked more than 100 companies. So wherever we are seeing the potential, we are trying to invest there. Mm -hmm. So NFE is very, very committed to be the zero emission company in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's, a, that's an ambitious and, and very exciting goal. So wish, uh, wish New Fortress Energy uh, great luck with that. Thank you. So, um, Thank you so much for being our, our, our first guest on H2 Tech Talk, Deepak, and uh, appreciate all of your insights and uh, information. And uh, I really appreciate you speaking um, with your expertise on uh, especially blue hydrogen and the energy transition and how we see all of this uh, kind of falling into place over the next couple of decades. Um, very insightful stuff. So appreciate you talking with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on this podcast.